0: There is something over this church with worship and the leaders that God gives us to lead us into worship. Absolutely phenomenal. And I just want to commend all of you, all the teams, all the leaders, all the band members, the work that you put in, the prayer, obviously the prayer you put in, the time you spend in God's presence obviously comes through and we experience something of that and you lead us into that, the place into the presence of God so beautifully, wonderful. Just uh, this morning, our last block of two Thes- or one Thessalonians. i have seeing two Thessalonians on my iPad here because it's at the end. But uh, the last block in the series of two of one Thessalonians, chapter one. So, if you can turn there in your Bibles to chapter five, sorry, chapter five, verse twenty-three. Chapter five, verse twenty-three. The irresistible church. And we've been there for 26 parts, and different people have preached, and it's been wonderful. I've absolutely loved the journey through this. And the reason why we did Thessalonians, it, it was one of those words that I, th- I think it was was Tyron Daniel brought it to us. And it's been one of those words where we felt God say that we are, we are called to be a model church, and the faith, our faith is meant to ring out from us into the region, and so we kind of we went into one Thessalonians, saying, "Actually, Lord, please show us what that means. Let's work through it. Let's look at and see what it looks like." And that's why we called it irresistible church. What does it mean to be a church whose faith rings out, whose message rings out? This church that becomes irresistible, irresistible. Uh, the Thessalonian church was a church in a port city, as we are, and ministered to a region as we've called to. Um, so, it's been a wonderful, wonderful series, and I trust that uh, along the way everybody has been encouraged, stirred, corrected, moved forward at some measure and in some form. But let's have a look at uh, verse 23. In fact, before I go there, what I want to do is I want to look at some of the key scriptures through the series that have kind of really stirred us and stood out. And then we're going to land with this beautiful ending that Paul comes up with. So, if we could put that slide up, please, that would be wonderful. Thanks, guys. There's some key scriptures in our journey. And the first one is this, and we right in the beginning, 1 Thessalonians chapter... No, that's the next one, not that one. That one. Key verses in our journey through 1 Thessalonians. The first one is this. One thing I said, in his one verse three, we remember before our God and Father, your work produced by love, by, by, sorry, your work produced by faith and your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's this, he writes to them and he says, actually, I can see that God is working in you because I can see this faith and this love and this hope that he's been put into you. I can see the gospel working. When the gospel works, those three things are evident in a community. In verse four, he goes on to say, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you. This morning is that that is a very important word for this morning. He has chosen you. How does he know? How do you know he has chosen them? Because there's faith, love, and hope in their hearts. He says that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. And we impact that in our whole preach. But the reason why I put that in there is I want us to know that in the beginning part of the letter, Paul is talking about how he knows God has chosen them. How he knows that the gospel has come to them with power. And he knows that God's hand is on them. He knows God's choosing is upon them. Next, next slide please let me go to this side so you guys can see my beautiful face <laughs> Wait, how do I look I, was, I won't say more egg because then I'll embarrass Rodney so it's like <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 7 and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia that is why we did this, you became a model so this church, because of the work of God in their hearts, and this was a church planted in a very short space of time and then Paul was run out of the city And they became this model church. They became this type of church that could be emulated in the whole region, not just in Macedonia, but in Achaia, in the whole region. And this this is what we're saying actually all churches are meant to be. This is what a base church is called to be. It resources a region, it resources something beyond themselves, and it becomes a model that churches in in the area can model and model themselves, and if you want to know what it looks like to live under the lordship of Jesus, come into this group of people. If you want to know the love of God in a community, come into this group of people. If you want to know what it looks like to live in a diverse group of people, come into this group of people. If you want to know and see what the the world is getting so wrong, but God does in His person and in His love in the church, come and see and look and live amongst this group of people. Become a model. Verse 8. The Lord's message, message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. So they became a model in the immediate region. Remember, there's no Twitter and there's no uh, X, whatever it's called now. There's no YouTube. This message was carried by people. So the messages were on fire. Wherever they went, they started fires, and this message rang out. So it's an indication of the kind of believers that were made in Thessalonia, Thessalonica. They were filled with the power of God. they were filled. They had something on them, and they transmitted this message wherever they went. And it says, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Not just there, but actually around the whole, more than just the region. Beyond that, your faith has been, known, been made known about. Lord, make our faith in you. Make our faith in Jesus be made known everywhere. Let us be known for our faith in you, Jesus. Let us be known by you and our faith in you. Next slide, please. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our heart. Paul has to put this in. In fact, the whole, from there on, in the, most of chapter 3, he talks about himself and how he's ministered with integrity. Without greed, without masks, he had a pure heart, and he had to defend himself because people were coming in and saying, Yeah, but how can you trust the gospel of a man that's got ulterior motives? So if you'd want to discredit the message, just discredit the messenger. Cancel him. If you can cancel him, then don't worry about what he says. And so Paul was defending himself and saying, listen, this is how, and it becomes an incredible message to us as ministers to say, this is the heart of a minister of the gospel. And then in chapter 3, verse 7, therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. This idea of their faith, he was encouraged because he had sent a letter back, he was worried that because of the persecution, what they were going through, their faith would be tested and their faith would be, would be um, squashed and squeezed out of them. And he, he was encouraged when he got the message back from Timothy and Titus that their faith was good. Faith. What he, what he was interested in is faith. And we spoke a lot about faith and why faith is so important. And 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 8, this is my life verse. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. He says, actually, now we really are alive. Now I'm alive because I've heard that you are strong in the Lord. Your faith is strong. When I am 80 or 90 and in my wheelchair, and I can't walk anymore, but I can pray, I'll be strong in the Lord to hear the people of Denver's church are still strong in the Lord. Strong in the Lord. Next text. Next slide, please. Nearly done. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask and urge you to do this more and more. You go in chapter four, he changes tact. In the beginning, he's talking about their choosing how God has chosen you, and then he defends his ministry, and he talks about his ministry. And in chapter 4, he starts talking about how they're meant to work out this life. And he talks about pleasing God, how to live a life that pleases God. You see, we don't live this life because it's rules, because God, because of the commandments of God. There are commandments of God, but the motivation for living out this life is because we want to please him. And so and then he talks about pleasing how to please him. He talks about pleasing him sexually with your body, how to please him with your, in the workplace, how to please him in the community and how to please him. How do you die well? How do you grieve well? How do you please him when you in this space? How, it's, how do you please him? And eventually it, it spoke about the second coming and there was error there and there was confusion there. And he brings clarity around how to please God in these different areas. You don't give up your job because Jesus is coming back. You don't get into worry about the times and dates. You get on with your life as though Jesus was coming back this afternoon. Is your life ready to receive him? Are are we ready to receive him? And uh, he carries on with that. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 15. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. This is what we did last week. But always strive to do what is good for each other. Always strive to do what is good. Always. We just always people. He goes on in verse 16 to say rejoice Always. Pray always. We become this always people. We always strive to do what's good. We always rejoice. We always pray. And he ends off, always give thanks in all situations. So he talks about us being this always people. Somehow in God, we find something in God, that no matter what's going on around us, we can see something in him that gives us hope and joy. Something to be thankful for. And we pray always. We're in communion with us, with Him always. As we walk with Him, as we work, we are walking, we, we're hearing Him, we're with Him. It doesn't mean we're kind of in this, we, we're doing normal life, but we know He's close and we can commune with Him. We can hear Him at any time. And then lastly, this is going to be today's text. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful beginning he spoke about chosen today he speaks about call I want to talk about the difference between being chosen and being called so let's get to our text this is what it says now that's a quick run through quick summary of what we've kind of been through as we've, as we've done this over the months 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 may God himself the God of peace sanctify you through and through. Notice he's saying may. So he's praying now. This is a prayer. There's two prayers in, in, in Thessalonians. This is the second one. I'll put up the first, this one and the next the one before this. Just now. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, he says. May our whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amazing. May our whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Pray for us. How is this? I mean, it's incredible. This apostle of the faith, the one who's written scripture, he asks this fledgling church of new believers, please pray for me. Because he knows this, the prayers of a righteous man or woman are powerful and effective. Doesn't matter how old they are, and it doesn't matter how mature they are, and it doesn't matter how long they've walked with God, if they know Jesus and they are righteous in Him, their prayers are powerful and effective. So He knows, He wants their prayer, he covets their prayers. But how's the humility of saying, please pray for me? Please pray for the work of the gospel. Please pray that this, this message continues to ring out, and the courage that you've given me to continue on would be continue on and give me the courage, give me the faith, give me what it takes, open the doors etc verse 26, greet all God's people with a holy kiss with a holy kiss in those days people used to, in the synagogues men used to give men a kiss and ladies used to give ladies a kiss and then sort of over time it became kind of immoral because then it was kiss all the brothers and the sisters and it kind of got a bit dodgy and that's why he has to put holy there. Like, like, keep doing that, but keep it tidy. And 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 really, what it's really what he's trying to do is he's he's just saying, listen, keep the, the keep the family vibe going, keep the intimacy, keep the relationships going. How, whatever that looks like for you, for us, it's the old uh, side hug, or the A-frame, or the good old shoulder shoulder charge you know like in the shoulder arm shake shoulder vibe so we every generation's got its own kind of how do you keep that together but he's saying keep that going keep that love on in a holy way whatever it is just keep it holy don't let the world bring its nonsense into you keep the family going I charge before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amazing, he ends again as he normally does. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. May the favor and the love and the goodness of God through Jesus continually be with you. And we know they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the grace of God. But he wants them to continue in the grace of God through Christ. Absolutely phenomenal end to a letter. But he says this in verse 23. Let's just look at the two prayers first. There's two prayers. If you can put that slide up with the, with the first one. But uh, two prayers, there we go. And then if you can get rid of the other one, that would be good. There we go. Coming, coming, God. There we go. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, there's a prayer there, and he prays this prayer. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Remember, he was having hassles getting to them, and may the Lord make your, listen to this, again, see the mays. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as as ours does for you. So his first prayer for them is let your love overflow for each other. we're praying for churches, what a great starting place. Lord, let your love overflow. Let our love overflow for one another. Then he goes on to say, may he strengthen you, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy. There's blameless again, that same word that we're going to get to now. Blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones. Strengthen your hearts. Amazing, he doesn't say strengthen your behavior to be blameless. He says strengthen your hearts. I pray that your hearts, I pray that your understanding, I pray that this internal part of you would be strengthened in such a way. In Ephesians, he talks about I pray that your inner parts would be strengthened that you would know the love of Christ. I pray that the inner parts of you would understand who you are and whose you are so that you would be able to remain blameless and holy. That you would understand that when when Jesus called you, He made you holy, He set you apart. And that when He presents you before the Father, And he talks about the church in Ephesians chapter 5 and the bride and the church. And he says, and he will present his bride, his church, to the Father without spot, wrinkle, and blemish. With any blemish. And present her holy and blameless. It doesn't mean she's perfect. There's two parts to this kind of holiness that he gives us. The sanctification process he gives us. One, he makes us holy as though we were perfect. But there's the other part where he knows we're not perfect, but we're kind of getting there, we're becoming more like Jesus. But he, when he presents us, even though we're not perfect, we're absolutely blameless before the Father. Because he, he takes up the, flat, the slack. But that revelation, friends, only comes when your hearts are strengthened and you know him. That only comes when you know who you are And whose you are and that's why praise praise I praise Lord let them know who they are and whose they are so that they can be holy and blameless before you when they stand before you let them receive the gift of holiness from me but let them begin to change in the transformation towards holiness in the in the reality of their behavior and the reality of their thinking but it's okay because even when, I st- when they stand before me, they will be blameless. It's phenomenal, friends. Let us become more and more blameless as we live our lives. But the gift of Christ to the church is this holy and blameless life. Even though we're not perfect. And then the second prayer, which is the one we just read, may God himself, the God of peace, May God Himself the God of peace. That peace there is not not the peace shalom. It's the other word for peace. It means relational harmony. May the God who brings relational harmony make you holy through and through. Make you holy to your deepest core. Make you understand that actually when you gave your life to Jesus, you became so set apart. You became so completely other. You became so completely unique compared to what you were. May God himself, the God who brings relational unity, the God that brings people together, the God that pulls things together, make you holy, set you apart through and through. Powerful, eh? May your whole spirit May your whole spirit May your whole spirit, soul, and body There's the word again. Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. your whole spirit soul and body when every talks about spirit, soul and body he's not trying to make a theology of do we have a spirit and a soul and a body, three parts, two parts he's trying to say this every part of you every part of you And then I think of of Hebrews chapter, I haven't even opened my notes here yet. Hebrews chapter, let me read it. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 12, I think it is. For the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even into dividing soul and spirit. Whatever those two things are and how they fit together, even that, because often soul and spirit are used interchangeably with each other in the scriptures, as though they mean the same thing. Those things that kind of seem to be the main thing, same thing, the Word of God can even separate that. Joints and marrow. The things that are unsepa- you think you can't separate, the Word of God can separate that, can get into that. It judges the thoughts and attitudes. What's the difference between a thought and an attitude? You can describe it, but what does it mean? Like, how do you differentiate? No, the, the Word of God can get in there. The Word of God knows the difference and it's so precise and so powerful it can just touch that and get in between that and separate it. And separate, judges, the attitudes and thoughts of our heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. He says this is, and when he puts that, if you can put that prayer back up again, thanks. He puts that up again he says, I want, uh, uh, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. When he returns, when you go to meet him, May every part of you have been touched by Him. Let no thought, let no attitude, let no joint or marrow, soul, spirit, any part of your body, physical body, have not been touched by Him so that every part of you can be holy and blameless before Him. Both in its reality behavior, but also knowing Lord God, even though I know I'm not blameless, I know that you are. So when I stand before the Father, I can be confident and bold. Knowing that in you, I am blameless. Don't let the devil rob you of your confidence and boldness before God. Don't let him rob you of that confidence and boldness on that day, but don't let him uh, rob you of that now. That same boldness, that same confidence you can have now. Lord, may the God of peace do this. God of peace that pulls God and people together. The God of peace that pulls people and people together. Sanctify you, make you holy, set you apart through and through. And then he says this, the one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. (laughs) It's like, that's probably the best line in the whole text. May God himself do it. May May all of them respond to you, Lord. May all of their personhood respond to you. But I know this, Lord, the one who calls you is the same one that chose you. He's faithful. And he will do it. Who believes that? That's why you never give up on yourself that's why you never give up on people because the one who calls he is faithful even if they're not even if you're not he is faithful and he will do it he who started it will complete it Philippians but I felt God talk about choosing and calling Verse 4 of chapter 1, he says, For we know, brothers and sisters, God loved you, loved by God, that He has chosen you. We read it earlier. Of course, our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power and the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Chosen. And I feel like the difference between chosen and calling, called, it kind of fits into the same category as understanding forgiven and loved by the Father. We understand forgiven a whole lot more than we understand loved by the Father. And the gospel does both. So we can kind of receive the blood of Jesus to know that we're forgiven because he died for me and his blood paid the price and body and broken and we understand that break bread, etc but do we understand that in the gospel we find the father's heart and it's in the father's heart of love that he restores us he restores intimacy with him and he restores intimacy in our hearts and he takes shame and pushes it aside and gives us value and he does many things inside of us because of the love of the father so if you the enemy and you want to destroy a nation, what do you do? You take out the fathers. You give them a bad model of father so that the idea of father God is not a good one, and you don't want father God because father, father is not good. So forgiven and father. But I feel it's the same with chosen and called. called. It's like many know we chosen We're chosen, chosen. you chosen and it's easy to understand chosen because God chooses when I look back it felt like I was making the decision for God but when I look back I realise God chose me I was too diff-doffed to choose him and there's all sorts of theological debates about who choose and what did first and how it happened and all the rest to put that aside the point is this there's this unbelievable working together of God's sovereign choice and our responsibility somehow mesh together. And when you look back, you realize God chose me. Thank God, thank God He chose me. Because when you're in a mess, when you're in a mess, you want to know God chose me. When you're in a mess, you want to know God's sovereign. Thank you, Jesus. so we kind of understand chosen but when it comes to call I almost feel like next year we've got to speak about this more it's a bit different so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 12 says this father dealing with, Paul talking about like him being a father dealing with his children he says this in verse 12 encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory I'm a father who encourages you comforts you and urges you to live lives worthy of God because you are called and what happens is often we replace the call of God by the commands of God we know we're chosen but then we live under the commands of God instead of the call of God and the commands of God are death but the call of God is life The call of God comes with commands. But he says I'm urging you to live this life worthy of God because you called. So your motivation for doing this is because you called. I've called you, come. 1 Thessalonians verse, chapter 4 verse 7 said this, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. So your sexuality comes into order... Because we know we're trying to please Him and we are called to live a holy life. Called. Do you know you were chosen and called? 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 24 which is what we've just read. He who calls you is faithful. He who calls you is faithful so he calls and he's faithful and he will do the work you see when you understand he calls and you understand he does the work the commands of God are easy but if you put the command of God above the call of God very difficult you chosen and you called See, Paul was called by the will of God. Israel was called by God. You are gifted because of the call of God in your life. And often it's the gifts of God that reveal the call of God in your life. And often it's the call of God and as you start walking in it that reveal the gifts in your life, you suddenly realize, oh, cheapest Didn't realize that was in me. But God has specifically designed you chosen you, and then designed you with a call. The general call of God, but the specific call of God in your life. It was Mark Twain who said this. If you can put that other picture up, thanks. The two most important days in your life is the day that you are born and the day that you find out why. Stan Phipps says this. The two most important days in a believer's life or the day that you are born again and the day that you know why the day that you are born again from her and you realize God has a purpose for me and he's called me there's a difference between being chosen and called you see you can be chosen to represent your nation And then what happens is you, if you've chosen to represent South Africa we're playing in a team sport or something, you put aside your tribalism, you put aside your provincialism and you put on the jersey of the nation. You put the colors of the nation on. It's the bigger picture. You put aside your politics difference, you put aside everything else because every, nothing is bigger than, the, than being chosen to represent your nation. It doesn't matter that Sio Khaleesi plays for the Sharks, or used to play for the Sharks. In fact, it doesn't even matter that Sio now plays in France. He was called up and chosen because he's a South African man and called to play for South Africa. He's chosen. But somebody else does the choosing. The problem is is when in the in the process of the choosing and living out your choosing it gets tough. Because you don't do that without practice and hardship and persecution and criticism and all sorts of things. And then when the time comes when it gets tough, you think actually I'm I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I've made my bucks. I'm done. You see, unless it's a call, your choosing doesn't last. But if Seer knows that he's been chosen, and I suspect he does, but he's been called to represent my nation for a bigger purpose than just rugby, it makes a whole lot of difference. Then all the hours are worth it. Then all the pain is worth it then all the criticism is worth it. Because I'm called. It's my purpose, it's why I'm alive. All the devotion, all the behavior changes that need to happen for me to become that, are a joy. All the behavior changes that need to happen for me to represent the one that chose me, a joy. I'm called. To represent Him. Because He chose me. You see, calling is chosen is something that God does for you. A calling is something you have to steward. It's something you have to look after and steward. And you can be chosen and not steward your calling. And not count for God. And you show up to Sunday and you take your kids to Sunday school or to shine and you do your thing but you never actually walk into what God's got for you. We don't do that in this church. In this church, everybody walks on their calling. Haven't you noticed how Luke, he's always been a gifted musician, He's always been chosen. He's been anointed. I think anointed has got more to do with choosing. David was chosen by God, anointed. Twenty years later, he became king. So Luke's always carried anointing when he sings. Very White. Mm. Close your eyes and But I thought, I noticed this morning, what's happened with Luke is he's grown in authority. Why? Because he's beginning to walk in his call. He's beginning to steward his call, so he's not just anointed and chosen, he's beginning to grow in authority. And when we walk in our call, our authority levels grow. When we steward our call, well, we make choices, we make. We make good choices, we choose God, we do the, make the decisions, we begin to grow in authority. And friends, it's authority that shifts things. Something else for next year. But even then, it's the grace of God we rely on, because he is faithful and he will do it. So we don't get, ah, Lord, am I gonna, Lord? I want to be with you. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Let me say this. If you are called without being chosen, you will never grow in authority because you'll never know your value. The value comes from him. If you, if you have a sense of call but you don't know that God has chosen you has valued you has, has got hold of you he reached down and chose you and he knitted you together in your mother's womb if you don't know you've chosen you will chase your value in everything and try to find value in everything instead of the Father. But on the other hand, and what happens is we don't then learn to trust and rely on the love of God to take us through things. But on the other hand, if you are, know that you are chosen, without being called, you'll be like a wandering in the desert... Never finding your purpose and destiny. Tossed around this way and that way. And you will chase your purpose and destiny in other things except Him. You've got to have both. You are forgiven and in the Father's heart. You are chosen and called. We are chosen and called. One is a gift of God. The other one is also a gift from God, but you can steward it. You, need, you, you work with God with that. And you steward it and you grow in it as you step into more of God. The only way you grow into an authority, friends, is to get into the battlefield. And learn how to get, in, get your hands dirty and do it. Get onto stage and start worshiping. Slowly but surely, the authority grows as you rely on him. I feel like God wants to commission people into some call today, that you understand your chosenness. I think generally, people know they're chosen. Not all. There's both and. I've written down some names that I felt in prayer that I want to pray for.